0: Once I moved to the National Centre in Hyderabad, then it became kind of a completely different existence because, uh, you know, you're literally eating, drinking, sleeping the game, Um, there is absolutely no distraction, you're away from family, so it becomes like, you know, military training, it becomes like a completely disciplined, uh, you know, existence.
1: Hello and welcome to Dr. Vedya's Heal at Home. This is your podcast for everything health, nutrition, fitness, yoga, Ayurveda, and much more. Hey Tandi, how are you?
0: Hi. How are you Anshad?
1: Good, how are you? Thank you so much for agreeing to do this.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to be here.
1: We're, we're really excited to have you here as well. Um, so today we're gonna go go live with Tanvi who is here, Um, she's a badminton player for India and um, you know we are going to hear more about her journey Great, we can get started so um, Tanvi thank you for doing this, I am really excited to hear more about your journey Um, Do you want to quickly introduce yourself to our viewers?
0: Yeah sure, so uh, first of all you know kudos to Dr. Vedder for organising this you uh, you know this special feature i think it's it's really important because uh you know athletes and people who serve the country it's it's a, it's a different kind of uh you know approach uh that we have every day when we wake up it's it's a different uh, you know mindset that you know we take to to everything we do so um, yeah i think it's uh, i mean my journey has been of course as a sportsman it didn't start off purely as a sportsman i mean mm-hmm. there was balancing of uh, you know, academics and sport and everything growing up and then uh, eventually, yes, I decided to to go pro and uh, you know, pursue the sport. Um, it was a step-by-step process, uh, you know, but uh, I mean, yeah, we'll get into that as, as we chat.
1: Great, no, really definitely excited to hear more about it, uh, but you know, talking about Growing up, how you sort of got into sports, balancing sports and um, school. So, how exactly did you get into badminton? What age did you start playing badminton?
0: So, uh, I think as a kid, I was pretty sporty. Uh, it was always, uh, you know, I started swimming at the age of three and a half, and then, um, you know, badminton and, uh, you know, squash, tennis. It was a variety of sports growing up. Uh, I think I just had a bit too much energy and my mum thought I needed to be channelized into something productive so yeah, growing up it was a lot of sport um Yes, there was school but the summer holidays was always some, you know, training camp or the other mm-hmm. and then gradually, uh, you know, I used to watch my mum play badminton uh, at the club and, uh, you know, just sit and, you know, watching it, I think I fancied the sport, I used to try and, you know, hit around but at that point, the the racket was, uh, you know, probably taller than me but so I decided to be teased about that but, yeah, I think I, one, one summer camp, I enrolled myself into uh, into the training uh you know training session and uh picked up this sport pretty well and then it was just, you know, a step by step process. Uh I think it you know, you, you you start with, you know, the Mumbai Badminton circuit and then uh you, you, you start competing at the Maharashtra state level and then after, you know, becoming state champion you aspire for uh, you know, a national title and then when that happens then you know, you you get selected into the Indian team. So, it it was a kind of step-by-step process Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there was, I wouldn't say it was easy. It was a great learning experience. There were setbacks at each stage but I think you just come back way stronger. uh, Every setback just, um, you know, kindles something within you where you you say you want to make a stronger comeback and that's how the process just, the journey just goes on.
1: Very inspiring Um, but just taking a step back from all of that, you know and you said you started playing badminton and many other sports, when did you realise that okay badminton is the sport for me Um, and at what point were you like okay this is not just a hobby, this is something I could do professionally.
0: So, I think that um, that realisation didn't come very early on. I think Mm -hmm. it came when I won my first national title which was at the age of 15. Uh, yeah. So uh, it 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 came only then. Till then it was you know balancing everything that I was doing. I was yes the sport did take up majority of my day, but uh, it was uh, a kind of a balancing act right to uh, right till the 10th, 11th standard. It was you know totally a balancing act. And it was only after I won my first national title Mm -hmm. when I was like, yes, Uh, that's when I got selected Mm -hmm. in the Indian team and that was when it hit me like, yes, I can
1: pursue this. Great, so, um, you know, again, just talking about having to balance multiple things, you know, obviously, you just said you won your first um, national title at 15, which is crazy but, um, you know, just at that time, you're probably in the ninth or 10th standard, you're trying to figure out how exactly, you know, to give your board exams, you're also out there winning national badminton titles. So, how did you balance both of those? Um, you know, just also as an athlete, of course, there's a lot of discipline, a lot of sacrifices required. So, how exactly were you able to sort of uh, balance strength, school, exams, but also training? Uh,
0: yeah, I think. Tournaments. Uh, luckily for me, uh, my school was. Um, so I was at Bombay Cottage, and mm-hmm. it was, I think. The whole setup there, whether it was the teacher, the principal, my all my friends, uh, they were really, really supportive in every way. So, you know, if it meant missing an exam, then a supplementary exam was organized specially for me. Or if it was, you know, class that I missed, like I had permission to, you know, come in during the short break and miss the first two periods, or I would leave early from school and miss the last two periods. So whether it was copying notes or anything you know I could you know call the teacher or any of my friends and everyone was like willing to help uh, with you know notes or whatever so I think support wise um, the school really really supported me Um, even when I was in the 10th you know there was absolutely no pressure to uh, but there was a certain kind of pressure, I would say because um you know, academically I was um, one of the brightest students. so they did expect me. as long as my my grades didn't suffer, they were absolutely. Scared. So I, That's I that good, was yeah. the that that I had towards them, but um, as long as that didn't didn't take a hit, I think everything just worked out perfectly.
1: And that's great, Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of sacrifices and also balancing sort of studying, giving exams um, while travelling, while going to tournaments, never easy. But you know, even after that, so you know, of course, it's one thing to do it at school. But even after that, right, you graduate from school, you're playing badminton um, full time, there's so many sacrifices that you need to make, whether it's, you know, even in terms of like your diet, in terms of social commitments, in terms of like, you know, going out with friends late at night so how do you sort of you know what exactly does your usual I know it's obviously very different right now but what does a normal day um, really look like for you?
0: So, I think when I was you know growing up in school um, yeah that, that did become you know there were a lot of things happening obviously your friends are going out, they're having late nights, there are sleepovers happening but at that point I think I didn't really look at it as you know, it as a sacrifice at that point you know, everything's just new and you know, you're just enjoying uh, the grind so to say, so um, you know, being focused just well, luckily for me came came naturally, I didn't have to make a special effort and I didn't look at anything as you know, I'm sacrificing this, it was a conscious choice so I looked at it that way Um, But once I moved to the national centre in Hyderabad then it became kind of a completely different existence because uh, you know you are literally eating, drinking, sleeping the game, Um, there is absolutely no distraction, you are away from family so it becomes like you know military training, it becomes like a completely disciplined uh, you know existence Um, so uh, yeah I mean it did become a lifestyle at some point I think we just um, all of us just it just becomes a lifestyle you don't really look at anything as a major sacrifice Uh, it just becomes something that you know your life kind of revolves around training sessions and recovery and eating right and you know it just becomes a lifestyle and a habit so now if I'm asked to do something different it would probably not come so easily because it's just so, so so much a part of me now
1: and that's um, yeah. I know it takes a lot to get there, though. Yeah. Um, but so, what what does the usual day look like for you? You, um, yeah, not of course not lockdown, but not
0: lockdown. So it it depends. Um, at the national center, uh, the girls' batch would you know, start almost at 4.30 in the morning. So, our first session would be at 4.30 in the morning. Right. Uh, that would be our first session 4.30 to around 7 and then we would train again around 10 and then we will have an evening session. So, the, the day just you know, revolves around training, resting, eating um, but now of course, I'm training in Bangalore. I'm, I'm at another uh, academy mm-hmm. in Bangalore. So, uh, we, we generally train twice a day. Um, we, we, we train between 9 and 5. So, we have two sessions. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much what what the day looks like. We have, uh, so, it's either either an on-board session in the morning and gym in the afternoon or we do two playing sessions. Depends on, you know, what time of the year it is, whether whether it's off-season or we have a tournament coming. So, our, our training will, will depend on a lot of factors. But yeah, we generally train twice unless, uh, you know, it's really off-season and we want to, trained thrice, then there would be an additional, you know, like an early morning session or something and then twice on board
1: later in the day. Oh, that's, yeah, I can imagine they sort of flying by with that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in terms of, um, and I just thought of it right now when you said, you know, the girls' session will be at 4.30 a.m., um, as someone who's been a woman uh, woman in the sport in India in badminton um, do you think you know there's any sort of difference in terms of treatment in terms of how your career progresses um, or just generally you know not even in like just in general being a woman in sport um is there anything you'd like to sort of say about that
0: uh, i think it's um so when you look at women in sport i think if you go back like 10 15 years i think I can't even remember like maybe I can name 5 female athletes uh, across <laughs> different sports who actually come to mind but now I think we have quite a battalion whether it's badminton, whether it's tennis, squash, uh, gymnastics, wrestling you you name the sport and we have you know someone out there so it's a heartening change to see women actually take up sport professionally but having said that I think uh, you know the, the battles that Act, female athletes have to sometimes face, uh, are not uh you know it's it's not that easy. Uh when I say backwards I mean, you know, it's um you know you're not expected to be there are there are a lot of stereotypes about Women and you know, we're, we're training in the sun, we're often can. we're doing things that die you So, you know, there's uh, you're bulking up, you're, you're muscular. So, it's there are a lot of stereotypes that you're very often breaking. So, it's not easy being a female athlete, you're judged for a lot of things, you're you know, looked at critically. Uh, but, but it's heartening to see the see you know, the mindsets changing um, in terms of you know, prize money and those things. There's still a lot of disparity. I mean despite putting in the same number of hours, the same amount of effort that you know Amelia counterparts very often put in the, the prize money isn't comparable. So hopefully things like that uh you know should should change. I mean, you know, that's it's it's sometimes uh mentally it's it, you don't feel the best when you're being discomforted mm-hmm. against. So yeah.
1: Correct, I can imagine that um, you know, this is not an easy situation, but like you're saying, hopefully we are seeing the first signs of change and hopefully that will continue to sort of um, change as well as we proceed. Um, one thing you said earlier, right in the beginning was about, you know, how the life of an athlete is very often full of setbacks and then sort of like coming back from that and setbacks and coming back from that. Um, you know, one of the main, biggest setbacks that any athlete can face is an injury. Um, and you know, obviously you end up facing them um, relatively often and then it becomes obviously very tough to come back both mentally and physically um, yeah. So, have you, have you had any experiences with injuries or anything um, that has been particularly difficult to come back from and how exactly do you sort of overcome everything and come back from it?
0: Yeah, so I think um, like you said injuries are a part and parcel of every athlete's, uh, I think it's just like a professional hazard that we, we have to accept uh, but and there's no really great time to get injured. But uh, so luckily for me, I I was I've been relatively injury-free touchwood. Uh, but I did have a major, you know, uh, I tore my patella tendon in 2017, which was uh, which didn't come at a you know at a great time because uh, I just moved to England to do my masters and I was mm-hmm. at a at, at, a, at a sports university where, where the plan was to, you know, play the European circuit and uh, make a huge jump in my rankings which was, you know, I was at a good place ranking wise and that was, you know, the ideal plan and it did start off pretty well with me winning a tournament, uh, tournament there in Europe and then uh, I ended up, you know, literally tearing my knee, my patella tendon the, the following month. So, it wasn't really easy it saw I saw a plummet of about 200 places ranking wise uh, and it took me 9 months to you know make uh, a comeback to even play my first tournament. So, um, you know it, it it is mentally very debilitating because uh, you know you've, you've built up to a particular level and everything just comes crumbling down uh, but having said that you I think you learn a lot from injuries very often you take a step back, you look at things from a different perspective, you look at things, you know, you kind of slow down when you're in that race, you're mm-hmm. things very often don't strike you, you're chasing rankings or you're just busy competing and traveling and recovering and you know, it, it's just when you actually have that, you know, like a, like a stop that you actually, you know, things uh, begin to make sense in a different light. So, I did come back and started, I started working a lot differently uh, on, on things that I probably wouldn't have worked on if I hadn't been injured so, you know you learn to take everything in a positive light and um, yeah, I mean I started competing 9 months later uh, it was a step by step process because uh, you know there are certain movements that you know you're just scared to do and uh, every session has to be monitored, you do something you. You, you don't feel great on a particular day, so it's it's a step by step process, you know. Rehabbing and coming back, coming out of any surgery is not easy, but uh, I think it just makes you want to come back a lot stronger, and it just you know your your resolve is so much stronger when you're when you're wanting to make a comeback.
1: Yeah. No, definitely, and I you know obviously it's difficult for me to imagine, but I, you know I can only sort of assume that it's extremely hard, especially when your world ranking is falling but there's nothing, it's completely out of your control um, so you know it's very inspiring to hear that you know there's still that desire to come back even better and stronger um, yeah. so we just have a question here so uh, someone's asked what does it take to improve the ranking on a worldwide level do you think you need to train harder or is it just that sometime one hits a, one hits a roadblock
0: oh I wouldn't say, I mean, yes, you do sometimes hit a roadblock but you have to constantly assess, um, you know, what level you're at. Uh, there are different grades of international tournaments. So, you start with the international series, then the challenges, then uh, the super 100s, the super 300s, super five hundred and uh, 750s. That's, so, it's basically like your tennis, ATPs and then the grand slams. It's like a build up. And you don't, you don't, you can't enter the bigger tournaments unless you're at a particular ranking. So uh, you have to initially start with playing the challengers and the series, which are uh, mainly, you know, in Europe and some in Asia. And then as you build up your ranking, uh, you can aspire to play the bigger tournaments. So obviously, the points that you get for every round that you win in, you know, a Grand Slam is going to be more than a challenger. So that's basically how the, you know, the step-by-step process is. But it's. It's not easy because, you know, like in an Olympic qualification year, you probably will, you know, a lot of the top players, like top 30, top 20, will be playing the challenges. So, it won't be that easy. So, you know, you need to just constantly assess what your level is, what the what the fray in the tournament is, you know.
1: Um, and, um, you know, just talking again, that's one part with the individual sort of world rankings and how you… Um, sort of proceed over there but I know you mentioned that you won your first nationals at the age of 15 and then you know it's step by step playing for the Indian team. So, tell me how do you sort of, um, how does it feel to represent India? Um, how did you feel the first time you sort of got called after the Indian team?
0: Uh, I think it was a really special feeling. I think um, all of us, uh, we played the sub-junior EBC that was the, my first mm-hmm. <laughs> tournament. And uh, all of us, you know, we were busy clicking pictures of, you know, literally turning our backs to the cameras to just have that India, lard, India things, it was like a major, major sense of accomplishment. Um, But yeah, I mean, once that actually sunk in, then you get on to, you know, the job at hand because it's not just making it to the team, you actually want to go there and, you know, believe that you have a chance. So, there used to be this stereotype especially in in the badminton circle you know the Chinese and the Indonesians were considered um, you know a a, a powerhouse so uh, the moment you were up against a Chinese it was like you don't have a chance that was the typical way of thinking so you know I remember uh, our first tournament we, we we did want to kind of break that that mindset we uh, youngsters were pretty filled with a you know positive vibe we are not going to go in thinking oh she's a chinese or she's an indonesian we're actually going to go and try and you know do something productive so uh yeah i think yes the initial sense of making it to the indian team was you know we were really filled with a sense of pride and then we we really wanted to win, win a medal for the country
1: of course, it is an amazing achievement. Congratulations, um, you know, of course, at any stage, any level and to do it for so long, so consistently is truly inspiring. Yeah. Um, so, just you know, you were talking about your first tournament but are there any other major highlights um, that you've had in your sort of journey and career playing for India? Yeah,
0: I think um, so, I was part of the uh, Asian Games uh, and Uber Cup teams which uh, So, the the women's team kind of created history at both these events in 2014 and in 2016. Um, It was uh, you know I I think um, like I said it was a historic moment so uh, you know whether it was sitting in the dugout and cheering your your teammates on in every tie or you know the post match scenes uh, you know, or even even the team practice sessions. There was so much of a com- camaraderie between uh, between the players. Like throughout the year, you know, being an individual sport, everyone's thinking about their own rankings and tournaments, and mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of you know focused on yourself. But this was a team event, both the events. And you were actually playing, uh, you know, there was a lot of team effort going into it, Uh, the singles players helping the doubles players, the doubles players coming and feeding the singles players, everyone cheering each other and then the post-match, every tie that we would win, we would be, you know, at the practice courts and there was a lot of celebration, especially when we won uh, the quarterfinals and we realised that, you know, it's been a We've actually, you know, won a medal at this uh, this event. you know, just there, it was it was a crazy feeling. Uh, everyone was going pretty bonkers at the practice hall, like it, it, it. Because it was just sinking in. You know, we had created history and we won a medal. So, yeah, I think it was very very special uh, as a team to to win both those events. You
1: no, know, of course, I. You know, obviously, growing up, every sports person dreams that they'll play for their country and you know, the dream is not only to pay for the country but actually win a medal Um, and it's amazing that you've done both of those things um, already and I'm sure there's a long way to go as well Um, So, you know, earlier I was asking you what your day sort of looked like Um, but we know that right now it's very different Um, and especially for athletes, right? you guys are so used to travelling constantly Um, you know, a lot of your life is spent on circuit, playing from tournament to tournament, moving city to city um, and you have very set routines about training, diet, um, practice, all of that so obviously it's probably been very difficult time um, in that sense to maintain everything so how has lockdown been for you um, you know what is a typical day in lockdown really look like uh,
0: yeah so in terms of lockdown um, it was initially it started off as a welcome break because we had been competing and training and there had been no let-up. So, uh, it did come at a good time, you know, the initial uh, 10 days I think everyone was just, you know, eating what they want, watching, uh, binge-watching shows, sleeping at odd hours. So, it, it was literally like a, you know, a welcome break. But, uh, you know, after a point it kind of, you know, sunk in and we, we really needed to get back to some kind of, you know, our, our routine and uh, so we did. I mean, I did have a kind of a strict um, schedule through the day. Uh, my coach had organised, um, you know, uh, fitness sessions over Zoom. So uh, I had, you know, a little space outside my house where I used to do that that work. But I, I was training twice a day to kind of just make sure that you know I was used to some kind of routine. And whatever was possible at home in terms mm-hmm. of maintaining fitness or doing wall practice or anything to just keep you connected with the sport is something that, uh, you know, I was making an effort to do and then, um, you know, a teammate and I uh, always wanted to, to do something, uh, you know, like a sports chat show or, you know, something on that line and then we we just got talking one day and decided to start a podcast which we, which yeah. we did. Uh, so that was k- kind of fun it was called yeah. the millennial athlete and it was based on top athletes across uh tennis badminton squash cricket uh we interviewed um you know a lot of athletes uh we spoke to them about you know athlete to athlete kind of conversations they were uh, about training diet mental mental health issues um you know and uh Each one had a unique story to tell, each one had their own perspective on a lot of things so it was a great learning experience, it was really inspiring and I think it just kept, uh, it was a great learning experience even from you know perspective of uh, conducting the interviews, doing the editing so it it was a lot of fun and I think it just kept me really busy in the lockdown.
1: No, that uh, that sounds amazing, and I I can imagine it being really hard to obviously maintain. Of course, when it's three weeks of lockdown versus sort of yeah endless yeah um, lockdown to just maintain that motivation as well. But um, no, it's it's great that you know you've been able to incorporate some of your training into your everyday life, even at home. Um, yeah. And of course, the podcast will definitely go check it out, and everyone who sort of tuned in definitely go check out the Millennial Athlete. Um, excited to listen to that. Um, so, you know, what do you think uh, or what are your sort of, um, just to wrap up, what are your goals for the near future? Um, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, as an athlete, you've obviously now been in, you've been playing for um, a good amount of time, but you do still have a long way to go as well, still many years left. Um, so, how exactly do you sort of view that, like, okay, I've already, you know, achieved my goal of playing for India, achieved my goal of winning a medal for the country um, you know, one tournaments around the world. So, um, you know, how do you keep that sort of motivation going and what are the plans for the near future?
0: Uh, in terms of motivation, I think, um, I don't know, it's really intrinsic. this point, a bit of a doubt as to, you know, when tournaments will resume and what the circuit will look like. Mm-hmm. But um, my first goal probably would be to get to where I was before my injury, uh, ranking wise and then uh, you know the, the Asian games and the Commonwealth games 2022 would probably be something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, but yeah, we need to, these are tough times for everyone and hopefully sport resumes soon. Uh, we've been kept away from competing for a while. So, I think everyone's really looking forward to the circuit actually resuming the olympics happening next Mm -hmm. year and um, yeah hopefully everything resumes and you know we accept the new normal but we get back to doing what we all love doing so looking forward to everything just yeah resuming that's that's step one I guess.
1: Definitely and I'm sure you know them you will achieve all of your goals and then many more medals in the future. mean, thank you so much for doing this. This was a great session. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Vedya's Heal at Home. Until the next episode, we'd love to hear back from you for questions, feedback, or anything else. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Vedya's, and we'd love to have a chat with you. And if you like what you heard, then don't forget to press the subscribe button and do share it with your friends and family. We're nothing without our listeners.